0: In 1944, on the south side of Boston, the most intelligent man in the world died. Ironically and tragically, it was his brain that killed him. William James Sidus, a man whose IQ was somewhere around 250, died of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 46, which was the exact same illness that killed his father. William's exact IQ can only be estimated since his sister Helen exaggerated his actual scores when she spoke to biographers but researchers believe it was fifty to a hundred points higher than the IQ of Albert Einstein which was a hundred and sixty whatever Williams actual IQ was he could read the New York Times before he was two by age six he had learned English Latin French German, Russian, Hebrew, Turkish, and Armenian. Then at age 11, he entered Harvard University as one of the youngest students in the school's history. Harvard at 11. By all rights, William Sides should have invented something incredible back in the 1930s, like the internet or Doritos Tacos. William easily could have become the leading mind in mathematics or physics. By now the name Sidus should be as familiar to us as the name Einstein, but it isn't. By the time he reached early adulthood, William Sidus was an unhappy recluse. After graduating cum laude from Harvard, William admitted that he'd been a laughing stock. He said he had never kissed a girl. He was chased and humiliated by other students. And he talked about leaving the academic world forever to become a laborer. Eventually, William would write books, but very few of them were written under his own name. He used at least eight pseudonyms, meaning we never know how many books he published under other fake names. I think it's safe to say in every measurable way, hyperintelligence or the expectations that came with it made William Sidus miserable. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert.
1: And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no da on the internet and get to the juicy facts.
0: Big Bang Theory, Sherlock Holmes, and House have tried to convince us of one thing, hyper-intelligent people might be unbearable to work with, but it's worth putting up with all their idiosyncrasies to get a glimpse of their genius. In movies and TV, people of genius IQ are usually portrayed as hyper competent. And if they're not wealthy already, then they're rising stars, like Mike Ross from Suits or Doogie Hauser MD. Well once again the reengineered U is on the case because today we want to tackle three myths about intelligence. Myths that make the rest of us feel like big dum-dums. Myth 1. Intelligent people have it made. Besides, if you know everything, you could just coast through life telling the rest of us how to screw in light bulbs. Myth 2. Intelligent people get paid. Because if you have all the answers, clearly we should be following your lead, right? Myth three, intelligent people get laid. Like they said in Sherlock, brainy's the new sexy. But how brainy is too brainy? How smart can you be before it becomes unattractive? But first, we're going to define exactly what we mean by Intelligence.
1: Okay, so here's the part where I embarrass myself for the sake of the audience. Uh, but first, you. So, Todd,
0: have you ever taken an IQ test? I've taken a Wonderlick. That's the closest thing I've ever taken. A what? A Wonderlick. It's a test they give for overall general intelligence.
1: Oh, okay. How'd you score, if you don't mind me asking?
0: Above average. Above average, yeah. okay. Smart, but not super smart.
1: Not 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 Doogie Howser or or Sherlock. No, no, okay. You already knew that, though.
0: <laughs> what about no, you? you? I take... wasn't
1: smiling too big when when I asked about your intelligence test. You,
0: you had a little doubt in your voice when I heard you <laughs> said scored well. You kind of like what you How did? did. You do. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, I have not taken any of these tests. Uh, um, we're talking uh, today's episode. We're talking about the IQ test, uh, the Mensa, and which isn't a test. They base it on IQ. Uh, and, and briefly, we're going to mention the SATs. Um, because when we talk intelligence, um, we are specifically talking about basically uh, IQ and the ability for people to absorb and aggregate knowledge
0: or facts. Um, so. And Joe, Joe, and I both believe, and I'll speak for you on this: is that there's, sure. there's different kinds of intelligence. Mechanics are a different kind of smart than engineers, and absolutely, and artists are. So we we do recognize that, but we're doing measurable tests in today's shows.
1: Yes, that that's a good way to put it. Um, we know the whole the whole yarn about Steve Jobs, and that that everybody is a genius at something. Um, I believe that that people can be remarkably gifted at things. We are just strictly talking about uh, IQ tests and standardized intelligence tests, uh, specifically those that uh, Menza looks at. Um, we're not referring to them as intelligence tests as a mark of particular genius. We just mean IQ. Uh, and I have not taken an IQ test or SATs or any other standardized test. Um, each of those, uh, for my background, each of those would re- have required money when I was a kid. And we didn't have that. So uh, if, if it was uh, even like a permission slip to go to a, a museum trip, my, my parents were iffy on that.
0: It's for the upper academics to get the IQ tests.
1: Right. yeah, I, I think that's for, for people whose parents who uh, give two shits. so <laughs> <laughs> um, But William Sidis, uh, um, his parents will find out, really, really were invested in him being a genius.
0: But there are people that are bred and born that are just super, super smart. Right. We all usually went to school with one, valedictorian, Victorian, hardworking, but had so. William Sis's early life, great breeding to begin with. His mother was a doctor, and his father was a famous psychologist. And they were on the same page on parenting. Joe. They sat down and said, "We're gonna, we're gonna have the smartest human being. That's gonna be our son."
1: So they, they planned him out basically.
0: They from day one they spent every cent they have on maps and books and toys to start him off on a pace that no one had ever done before. They were breeding a genius. Okay. He later in life said that his parents were um, pushy and aggressive. And to me, I see it as from my background stuff is the sports parent, who my kid's going to be in the in the major leagues or the NBA. And we're gonna do whatever oh. it takes to get them. The Tiger Woods dad like put a golf club in their cur- golf club in their crib, you know, blew right. it to their hands.
1: Okay, so this was basically like the the academic equivalent of having coaches for parents. They were they were in it,
0: a hundred percent. Um, as a young boy, we talked about how he spoke all these different languages earlier. Mm-hmm. He actually invented at age eight his own language. Dude. Now this Please. is not Pig Latin like we have word kids okay. where there's five <laughs> words. He had a complex language and it was based on Latin and Greek, but it also drew from German and French. So,
1: so he was able to to repeat this. It wasn't just like Absolutely. gibberish once. Okay,
0: <laughs> so he, we could be speaking that today if he would have got running up and running with it.
1: Uh, that's like some Tolkien
0: stuff, like
1: he, he basically invented
0: Orkish. Yeah. He also, as an adult, he ended up speaking, and this is measurable, mm-hmm. 25 languages and dialects. Wow. And just so you know, not that it's, it's still around, we might want to bring it back. We could get fluent in vendergug. Vendorgug, that was his language.
1: That's his, okay. Well, so. that sounds way more elegant than, <laughs> than Orcish. That That's Vendorgug. I like that. Kind of sounds like a, a candy bar vendor good. He <laughs> well, was, was eight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe that's really what he was doing. Uh, so apparently uh, there are some, I'm not going to say the word costs, like there's a cost to being a genius because that almost makes it sound like it's a, a, a magic gift or something. But uh, there are a couple things that um, uh, are possibly associated with genius level IQ if you'd like to hear about them. Please. So what what our, our um, vendor good inventor might have uh, suffered through. Um, so this is a, a study they did where they took um, members of MENSA and they gave them uh, they 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 gave them things to fill out basically. Um, so to clarify, we already we already mentioned MENSA and IQ tests. Uh, there are more than a hundred countries around the world with members in MENSA. Uh, their ages are three to one hundred and three. Um, And they come from all walks of life and education levels according to MENSA. So this is from their website. Uh, They say that there are janitors, doctors, scientists, artists, carpenters, police officers, hermits, firemen. Um, So it's not so much about like you don't have to be in academia to be a MENSA member. You just have to take an IQ test and score um, within the the top few percent of, of people. Um, and here's what they got from their members. They, they sent them a questionnaire, and they found out that there are some uh, correlations with genius-level intelligence uh, and depression and addiction.
0: I'm not surprised by that.
1: Okay. Well, so have you seen the show House? Yes, I have. The, the, the part where he is depressed and addicted all the time? Apparently there is some real science behind that.
0: Well, they just have to. They have to slow down that monkey brain of theirs. It just won't stop. Right. They overthink. They overthink themselves. Miserable.
1: I I used to before this article. I, I that's how I thought. That's how I assumed. This article actually kind of does validate that uh, when we when we get into um, hyper-excitability. So we're we yes. We're, we our assumptions might have actually been pretty correct on that. And I think I think that's going to be validating for a lot of people listening. When they think, you know, why would a genius level IQ be so um, sensitive or, 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 you know, uh, the whole like, joke about an inhaler. Everybody with, you know, IQ higher than 130 has an inhaler.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a certain look, right? Yeah. yeah. There,
1: there, there might be some validation <laughs> of that, that idea. Um, so this, uh, this also comes from an article by Scientific American called Bad News for the Highly Intelligent. Um, and they say that for reasons not completely understood, uh, people with, uh, intelligent or, or, um, highly intelligent IQ, they live longer, healthier lives and are less likely to experience life events like bankruptcy. Um, so they live longer and they generally don't have as hard a slumps, uh, financially. Um, however, as we mentioned, surveyed Mensa members, uh, this is from Pitzer College, Uh, read by Luth uh, Karpinski. Uh, Their survey showed that um, uh, when they asked about mood disorders, like anxiety disorders and spectrum disorders, they compared the MENSA members who responded against the national average, and here's what they found. More than a quarter, 26.7%, of the sample reported that they had been formally diagnosed with a mood disorder. Well, 20% had been formally diagnosed with um, uh, anxiety disorders, um, which is far higher than the national <laughs> a staggering average. staggering
0: high percentage. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, um, I think each of those percentages nationally is around 10%. Um, and the prevalence for environmental allergies, so we're joking about the inhaler and, and, and you know, peanut allergies, tree allergies, grass allergies, um, that's uh, triple the national average. So when you get into genius level, so like you see you, the
0: sniffling nerd with the thing. It's a a real thing,
1: right? Right. The the glasses and the rubbing their nose and everything, all true. Like it, it, it's um, they are higher than the national average. So that's not just a a stereotype. That is something that Scientific American has showed.
0: I truly believe if I was smarter, I would see things coming faster. Like if I read more and I knew more, then I would mm-hmm. make less mistakes.
1: I. I don't know if, that that might be true, but it also might give you blinders. I mean, I mean, this is based on no data whatsoever. Um, but if you are hyper intelligent, don't you think your brain would be occupied with something else? Like you're you're too busy thinking about a Rubik's cube to see a baseball <laughs> flying in from the left side.
0: No, that's true. You're you're, you're based on higher things, yeah.
1: I, again, that's just assumption. All we've shown here is that mood disorders and and allergies are more prevalent. Um, now, now from the same research, uh, Karpinski had a theory about this, why um, there's a higher prevalence for intelligent people to, to have these uh, mood and these um, uh, environmental allergies. Um, Karpinski says it could be overexcitability, um, which means that um, people with higher intelligence have greater reactions to environmental threats or insults. Now, this can be startling. Like, like thinking about being highly intelligent means that you are aware when somebody yells at you from across the street or, or when your nose starts sniffling and itching. Like, like it might just mean that you are um, quicker to respond and you're, you're quicker to um, uh, go to the doctor over a symptom or an allergy or something. Um, but then I started thinking about uh, WebMD I, I try to internalize everything. Whenever I read research, the, the way I remember it later is I try to think of, you know, how would I react to this? So um, you and I, we're going to pretend real quick that we have hyperintelligence. <laughs> uh, so we're, 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 we're like Doogie Howser or House or something. And then we spend one evening, like we have a rash. Say, say we have a rash on our like hands and we go to WebMD and it says it's cancer
0: we just freak out. We start we overthinking out. it. Right. We start shaking. We start living it.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, you and I. Uh, we did an episode um, about procrastination, and we found that the easiest way to bust procrastination is to imagine the consequences. Now, instead, imagine that you have a genius level IQ intelligence, and you immediately imagine the consequences whenever you have a problem.
0: Because you read it six years ago, and you remember. Right. I mean, you don't that, have to look it up.
1: Right. Exactly. So so when we talk about genius level IQ having higher percentages for anxieties and and allergies, I totally get that now. Like that that actually makes sense to me. Um, this is just a theory that this overexcitability theory, um, it, but it's a pretty um, so far it's pretty well accepted. Um, being overexcitable also means ruminating more uh, it means uh, you get into a loop where overanalyzing analyzing a threat can affect the body's triggering responses the flight or fight and that in turn can trigger the body to release more cortisol and it can also lead to more stress so it's basically a feedback loop you can get caught in and again this is all just theory there's uh, some correlation uh, it's possible that people who join MENSA are simply more preoccupied with intelli- uh, intellectual pursuits. Um, they, they may be perceived as smart already and uh, are thus more socially excitable. So it, it may be um, correlation, not causation. Um, and just to sort of uh, give a nod to everybody out there who, who loves the show house. Yes, high intelligence is linked to alcoholism um our our brains uh if you are highly intelligent uh as we covered in our alcoholism episode um you're oftentimes more prone to drink up so go ahead eggheads that's (laughs) that's that's a green light
0: for you i guess you're gonna feel better (laughs) this will make you feel better right
1: just a little bit it's not a justification it's just saying there is there is some strong correlation there So speaking of social anxieties, uh, I want to ask, our man William Sidus, the smartest man on the South Side, uh, how was he with social anxieties? I
0: assume he was amazing at talking to girls, right? <laughs> well, there's not a lot about his elementary and middle school thing. But keep in mind, he was a celebrity. He was written about from a very young age. So, so he was famous. So He was like a child star. Now, he went to Harvard at 11. But his father tried to enroll him at nine. He was qualified at nine. <laughs> so and I was doing some of the doing some of the research. He didn't just go to Harvard. He dominated his classes. He was Kumulaati. He um, lectured for the Harvard Mathematical Club on four dimensional bodies. And it was such a great lecture. It got him worldwide attention.
1: Wow. So, I just I want to interrupt you really quick just for a second. Imagine going to Harvard as a full-grown man and seeing a
0: nine-year-old get marched in. I'm glad you brought that up because academically, competitive academically are the Ivy Leagues, right? Yeah. So they're going to see him as a threat.
1: I would throw myself out a window. Like if I saw a (laughs) nine-year-old teaching my class, my head
0: would explode. So this made him a target. Um, His parents actually had to remove him afterwards because... The kids weren't just bullying him and chasing him around. There was a plan to get him.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So I think we know get him means beat the whatever out of him. R- right. So and they didn't care that he was a little kid.
1: Man, as a kid, okay, so not only would you feel persecuted because you're a kid, but we just got done talking about how hyperintelligence makes you hyper aware of threats socially. So that's that's horrible.
0: And he just didn't fit in. I mean, he's a little kid with all these, like you said, grown ups. Right. Um, when he graduated, he uh, talked to reporters and he said that he was going to make a perfect life of seclusion. He said he had no interest in women and love didn't interest him. In his life, he only had one romantic interest, and he kind of dated one woman, and that was it. Mm. He wanted to remain celibate, and his he said that his intelligence made him miserable and it totally isolated him.
1: Okay, so we we kind of teased that at the beginning That he might have been miserable from his intelligence But he just said it outright
0: He was miserable from the, probably the day he was born With being pushed aggressively by his parents And he, he kind of went past all their expectations Right But I know that smart people, geniuses, are rich people Right, Joe?
1: Right, obviously, because we see everybody who has a Ferrari doing, you know, uh, Menza Sudoku in the front seat. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being glib, of course. Um, we, one of the first things we wanted to look at when we started looking at this episode, um, both Todd and I were thinking, um, highly intelligent, genius level people. They got to be getting paid.
0: Like that, that's got to be the biggest. They've got all the degrees. They're the they're the physicians. They know what stocks to buy because they can analyze it. Right. Uh,
1: that that's always what we see in movies. Like um the the one that comes to mind. We mentioned this up at the top of the episode. Uh, the guy from Suits, the 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 genius that can literally memorize law books in one sitting. Like they've all got to be doing that. Like if you have a um, hyper intelligent brain, you've got to be on Jeopardy, right?
0: Well, I was gonna like um The Big Short. Where this guy sees changes in the markets that nobody else sees. Yeah, it's a great example. Get everybody on board, but he doesn't have the social skills to win them over.
1: Right. So uh, all geniuses in my mind are just sitting in jobs where they answer people's questions and then ignore them and then walk into their office and listen to heavy metal like that guy. (laughs) It's a great movie. Yeah. So um, we're looking here at the uh, the difference in income. well, difference in income for intelligence. So how much of your income is uh, changed or, um, or, or determined by high IQ? So if you have a genius level IQ, Todd, um, how much do you think that alters your income? Twice, three times as much. That's kind of what I thought. I thought it had to be like double or something, like 25%, 50% higher or something. Um, according to the National Academy of Sciences, if you have a genius level IQ, like you, your income—your um, y- income only affects your earning ability by about one to two percent.
0: I see. I see it as a winning lottery ticket. Yeah, like you can, like the world's yours. You can make as much as you want. You just do it in whatever is you, your passion.
1: Right. I always, I always assumed if you were a genius, you would just like, you would have something
0: like you, you. you
1: answer like you said stocks like I always thought you would just like have one little thing that makes you money mm-hmm. by you being a penis an app
0: and you have 50 million dollars so you're right
1: and the rest of your time you focus on making theoretical model planes for stuff that doesn't exist like I, I assumed you'd be doing something weird geniusy in your basement and then once in a while you pick a good stock and then you're fine
0: but you're telling me it's one two percent that's one, not, one to two percent that's not worth the addiction the depression or the allergies
1: right yeah just the sneezing alone. Uh, <laughs> That, that same study found that um, personality plays a much bigger part in your financial success than IQ. Um, specifically, and, and here's the word of the day for me, something I've been focusing on after reading this, conscientiousness. So conscientious, conscientiousness, uh, also known as uh, wishing to do one's work or duty well and thoroughly. Uh, we're talking diligence, dedication, perseverance, discipline. Um, however you want to put it, uh, that apparently um, factors more into your earning power than your IQ. Um, it, it's way higher than 1% to 2%. This study did not exactly give a number to it. Um, but it, it seems both this study and and anecdotally reading good articles from like Forbes and stuff, they agree. Conscientiousness uh, determines a lot more. Um, now... It, This is just a personal note for me, and I actually want to know how you feel about this. Um, I kind of believe in hard work and dedication, um, but I also believe uh, that there's a a joke online where somebody is talking to their boss, and, and their boss is driving a really nice car like a Porsche, and one of the workers is like, you know, how'd you get that? And he looks at him and he says, you know, if you come into work every day and you put in your hours and you work really hard and you, you really do your time, I can buy another one of those cars next year.
0: <laughs> Not you get one, but I'll right, get right. one. Right,
1: <laughs> right. Um, now, I, I, I personally... Um, There's a
0: reason that's so funny, Joe. Yeah. Because well, it's true.
1: It is, yeah. Anyone who's a, um, a, a day worker or a laborer or works for basically hourly, everyone knows that feeling that uh, your, your boss is going to get another Porsche next year. Um, but I, I do believe in hard work and dedication and creativity, that, that if you find something meaningful in your life to do, say for you and I, it's a podcast, that once you can dedicate yourself to something that is is enriching, that's different. That's that's where you get conscientiousness.
0: And, and I think a lot of really good geniuses that I've known, the people that I know, are, I wouldn't say they're geniuses to what we're talking about, but are very bright. They don't stay focused on something long enough to get the benefit of it. They change channels a lot. Right. And so they're just not in the same road for long enough. Or they would get there, but...
1: Yeah. Uh, another way to, um, to put conscientiousness into, uh, into frame so that we understand why it plays a big factor in your financial success. Conscientiousness is more... Um, so in school, uh, you can have like sort of the genius kids that ace tests, and they don't seem to care very much, like they, they, everything comes easy for them and they, they just still blow through a test, make their grade, they're fine. The people that actually get solid good grades all throughout school, the victorians, those to me weren't geniuses. Whenever I talked to them, they were conscientious. They, they worked hard, they scheduled their classes out, they had a plan, like they, they were just good solid workers. I think a large portion of grades and success in general comes from conscientiousness.
0: I agree with that 100%. Yeah.
1: And and we're I'm going to throw around a, um a word that gets overused in business right now, emotional intelligence, EQ. That's it, <laughs> Yeah, I um Todd just made the the gun to the head motion. It it gets so so overused in business, it but does. it Every is one seminar of those... and everybody. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um so we're, we're going to, uh, I'm going to torture you a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that just very, very briefly. Oh, great. i
0: want to do a whole show about it. Put me, <laughs> put me in that coma.
1: I, you Just to, uh, to aggravate you, I am writing the next episode entirely <laughs> about EQ. Um, something they talk about in Harvard Business Review is that um, people who have strong social skills and jobs that require strong social skills... Um, those will be way more difficult to automate in the future social uh, uh or or um conscientiousness factors into that so if you 're doing something that requires social skills and conscientiousness you 're not going to be replaced by a robot in the next ten years most likely um hard to automate jobs um which require social adeptness those will be those will be the ones that stick around the longest
0: that so makes sense though doesn 't it
1: Oh, totally, yeah. And that, that's a, another reason to advocate for um, you know, social responsibility, basically. Uh, one last one I want to discuss with you uh, about conscientiousness. Um, socially responsible and generous people make more money. Really? I've, yeah. I, I would have thought that. <laughs> I've heard about the generous part. Um, there, there's a lot of studies about how um, uh, people who are generous. It's, it's not so much that giving away money makes you money. It's not like the the thing you hear at church where you, you, you yeah. give and, and the Lord will provide back. I, I think it really is more about um, people who are aware of how successful they really are and they have the money to give and they can plan it out. I think that planning, that diligence, probably means more on paper than, than just being generous.
0: Well, And what... Is important to me, and is, is you hear a lot about now is social responsibility, and that's something that resonates to me, something I look up to.
1: Yeah. Ditto. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually quote from this article. This is a um, Forbes article um, by Vanessa McGrady. Um, this uh, actually this is two articles, the uh, Forbes and also a Mass Mutual study, um, and they say that um, uh, people who are um, generous and who, who fall into this category. Uh, it says, quote, they really take their own personal time and sometimes resources to help their communities. Uh, they're putting some of that attention toward their own financial foundation as well. Um, so again, when we look at, at why somebody is generous and socially responsible and conscientious, why they would make more money in their lifetime over say somebody with a genius IQ, a lot of it really just comes down to engagement. That, that they're willing to put down roots and they're willing to take time. Because if you're going to invest financially in um, uh, wealth, or, or not wealth, but um, welfare and uh, your community, if, if you're going to put money into good causes, you're going to want to know that you're putting it into something uh, beneficial. And so that requires engagement. That requires you to stop, think about what you're putting money into. Do
0: your due diligence.
1: Right. It's not just people who, you know, March of Dimes is knocking on their door and they, they give out a bunch of quarters.
0: That's what I was thinking. I think the, the generous part comes when you have a billion dollars and you give it all away. But climbing up, you don't give anything. <laughs> you take, 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 and then you give. But you're saying that's not the case.
1: Right. It's it's people who take financial responsibility along the way, but they just do it in smart ways. Um, it's not the collection plate at church. It's not March of Dimes. What they're doing is they're th- – those are both good things. Um, but, but really what it shows uh, in, in these articles, they're taking the time to consider what would be best for the community, and then they are giving where they think it will it'll, it'll make actionable change, which that's something I could learn from, definitely. So we're talking about being well-adjusted and being grown adults, which is something I struggle with sometimes. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, uh, SITUS as an adult?
0: Yes, I'm going to go a little bit off here because I've, I've read through this and read through this, and to me, anytime you're really good at something, there comes some attention, and some of that's going to be romantic attention. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, success does uh, uh, bring all the boys to the yard, I think is the way the, name the song goes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, William Sidus has looked at a picture, and he's a good-looking cat, mm-hmm. and he only had one woman that was interested in him. And so I'm thinking that he was probably missing – and this is just my some social cues through the years.
1: Okay, so I'm sure some of the charm of, might not have been there.
0: Yeah, and so I'm sure there was women that is interested in him. He was just probably very unapproachable.
1: Okay, you you had to have uh, a certain level of math intelligence probably to to hit on him,
0: to even have a conversation with him. And so he started writing. We talked about how he had he ghost wrote a bunch of different books. Yeah, um, and I'm going to listen. He from 19. From 1898 to 1944, he wrote under Frank Fopla, Parker Green, Jacob Armour, Barry Mulligan, John uh, Shudder, <laughs> Barry Mulligan. Yeah, no, that sounds, that
1: sounds no, like a fake <laughs> name. Somebody <laughs> didn't look at that on a book and be like, "This guy, this is fake, obviously."
0: Well, when they interviewed his sister for his for, the, for her for his biography, she rattled off a whole bunch of other books, so there could be.
1: Tons. Knows.
0: Yeah, there could be 30, 40, 50 of these. And what, sh- what kind of came out to me about the dates Joe, was that he kind of went back and forth. I mean, he didn't just use one for three years and then one for three years. So this guy's brain, he was just pumping out books after books like Stephen King.
1: Okay, so it's like me online writing fanfic. by by the way, if you see something written online under the pseudonym Barry Mulligan, it's me.
0: (laughs) He's trying to he's trying to get on the making a comeback. (laughs) Um, now, what's interesting to be is being as smart as he was, he's dumping a lot of time. He became obsessed with train trolley transfer tickets. Okay, (laughs) so he would go to train stations at night, like the subways, and he would pick up these old tickets. And I'm gonna pause this real quick. Okay. So this genius, this is what he's spending his spare time doing. Tell me what that picture looks like to you.
1: Okay, I'm I'm looking at uh, uh, it looks like a torn brown paper bag, like like a flat paper bag like you get if you bought comic books from a comic store. Except it is completely stuffed with uh, train tickets, old ones, not like, not not like a. Um, a transfers that are 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 new these are all ratty and torn and printed on and stamped
0: um so he's just carrying these around like he's collecting them daily and his friends are freaked out about it because he's spending in their opinion way too much time on this (laughs) uh
1: i don't know what to say about this because on one hand i i know he's a genius like i've i've I've, you've been telling me the story it's hard to look at this pile of of tickets and not just think garbage like like so, okay so if if they need a genius to figure out train tickets they, they've already got a printing system and they've already got numbers on all these so like i think the figuring out has been done like i i think whatever he's trying to divine from this this almost feels to me like uh like a mystic reading like animal guts
0: like this doesn't a tint of uh, mental illness here. Now, the name of this book is Notes on Collection of, of Transfers. That's the name of the book. Okay. So I'm reading through this thing. This should tell you how excited my life is, too. <laughs> and I found a, a chapter that I got excited about. It said, what is a derelict? So what I thought that was 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 some drunk homeless person on the train, right? Okay. What they look like, what to do with them. No, Joe, a derelict is a lost ticket, a lost th- ticket. So he has a system of what you're supposed to do with the lost tickets. I mean, you mean throw them away? <laughs> says the sane man, not <laughs> William William's side. is. So the reason I brought this all up was his his family was concerned about his mental health. I can see that he was <laughs> now he was a directionless thing. They even threatened if he didn't go and see a psychiatrist. His father was a psychiatrist. That they were going to have him committed
1: okay that's that's a very credible threat then like go see your father, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the father probably too close to the to it can't help him, you know, right He's blinded blinded by greed and
1: love, right. His father would be a professional, he would know to to get him committed by uh well, another psychologist oh, you're
0: right, he can sign for it, he doesn't need a judge, right,
1: yeah,, oh, that's crazy i I mean like like well, we have the perspective of time, so cute, crazy, but that is crazy.
0: Let me ask you this, Joe. okay What does a healthy relationship look between two geniuses? Can they? Uh,
1: it's a lot of uh, passive aggressive notes on the fridge uh, and a lot of uh, jokes that you and I won't understand. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Star Trek jokes. So generally um, um, while I started researching about this, I, I tried to get inside the mind of geniuses. And I did that by, by sort of haunting around on, on Mensa, uh, on their open forum, uh, and just generally reading up about, about people genius level
0: IQ. What they're doing, what they're into.
1: Yeah. And, and earlier, um, I, I, I read out what Menza states that their their members come from, the different walks of life, the different jobs. But I, I quickly realized that um, it's as diverse as um, people who have done something in their life worthwhile, and then that's what they're clinging to. Now, this is not a knock against Mensa members. Uh, I don't want us to get hacked by Mensa. <laughs> um, but, but really, it felt like a lot of the people who were um, uh, who needed to know that they had a high IQ, a lot of them it seemed like like a somebody in sports who once scored a, a touchdown and they still, had to talk about it. still living
0: their high school football dreams and yeah using that as a shield or a trophy as opposed to taking it and doing something productive and
1: yeah it becomes a cornerstone of their personality it seems to me to me that's that's my observation from the outside and i think that that when we talk about how iq only determines 1 to 2% of your financial success throughout your life I think it is actually th- that statistic is, is sort of upholding that bias I have. The idea that it, it's more about what you do with it, it. It's not so much about what your score is. Um, so relationships between highly intelligent people, and this is just going off of uh, um, a couple of studies I found. Um, I don't want to speculate and I don't want anecdotes. So for this... We are looking at, um, well, first we're going to start with this uh, cross-cultural study that surveyed 200,000 people um, whose intelligence uh, was rated as the number one preferred partner trait. Um, So this from Psychology Today, um, they said that men rate intelligence as the number one preferred trait in the women they're looking for.
0: See, I would think that that, that wouldn't be so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it was followed very closely by looks. Okay, yeah. So that uh, I think you're in my assumption that men are dogs. Uh, when we're like, it's going to be looks, it's going to be looks, it's going to be looks. No, it's it's um, for men, they rate intelligence
0: higher. Let higher. Co- so Joe and I are both in the public speaking world. And we've been at these um, speeches where uh, a man will get up who's super smart. And we've you and I have both seen all the women gush. Yeah. So that's what I think about when I think of intelligent, attractive.
1: Yes. Um, this one might surprise you. Uh, oh, actually, I'll, I'll frame this as a question. Uh, what do you think the number one trait for women is when they when they rate attractiveness in men? I'm um, financial secu- uh, probably intelligence. I've been thinking right with the men. It, nope. It's actually humor. Okay. <laughs> so so women rate humor as number one, closely followed by intelligence. Okay. So, so, for women, women rate humor as number one and then intelligence. For men, they rate intelligence and then looks.
0: So, they want to be entertained and a good spirited.
1: Yes. Um, so, smart is attractive. Uh, we, we started the show with a, a quote from Sherlock where they say, brainy is the new sexy. Um, it is. Uh, uh, smart is generally attractive. And, and, As far as a species goes, that makes sense. Our our current world, what we live in, we reward for intelligence. Like, all of our systems are built for, can you manage a bank account well? Can you foresee potential uh, crises in your future?
0: Yeah, more resources.
1: Yep. Uh, A lot of it comes down to resource management, I believe. Um, But there is a line to be drawn. So, smart is attractive, but not too smart. So this comes from uh, um, the University of Western Australia. Uh, They want to find out um, uh, how smart you can be before it becomes unattractive. So instead of relying on uh, rank orders or ratings, uh, they focused uh, on the perceived attractiveness of specific levels of intelligence. Uh, So they sampled um, 375 individuals um with estimated iqs of about a hundred super smart super smart um i think it's uh um oh oh, i'm trying to think of the number Uh, men's is like 130 or something like that but um so we're we're gonna have to quickly define attraction uh uh, attraction be it sexual um short-term or or, or long-term partner interest um
0: I want to be with you
1: <laughs> right um, now and forever, <laughs> yeah, just uh, I, the reason I want to like split hairs on this is because if you look at somebody and they're you're looking at their iQ scores and you're thinking hyper intelligent people, you may start a different kind of planning like like if you look at somebody's dating profile and it shows their iQ, if you see that they have an i q of like William Si two hundred and fifty. That's not attraction at that point. That's somebody thinking, okay, my kid is going to be a god. So oh, yeah. that, that, is, that is a different kind of plan. So we're looking at purely uh, uh, jerk, knee-jerk attractiveness. And I'm going to read through this um, uh, starting from the lower intelligence higher. So we're going to talk about how attractive uh, from the bottom of the scale to the top. So are you ready for this? I'm ready. So uh, you can feel free to raise your hand when I reach your percentile. So if if you know that, Um, from the first percentile to the 50th percentile, uh, as far as intelligence goes, it it, it rose in attractiveness almost in the same uh, rating. Uh, So if you're, if you're in the bottom 3% of intelligence for humans you're probably going to be about the same rating for Attractiveness. Why are you looking at me like that? No, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 we're, we're going okay. uh, up in scale. Let's so. head north, please. Yeah, let's head north. <laughs> so uh, um, uh, first to 50th percentile, it, uh, Attractiveness raises appropriately. Um, again, when you hit about 75th percentile, uh, and then it starts going up sharply, and it peaks at the 90th percentile. So if you're within the 90th percentile of intelligence for humans. Yeah, I'm not. I wish I was. You're not? Okay. <laughs> I'm a little lower. A <laughs> little bit. Um, I'm getting know.
0: smart as I've been hanging around with Jill. It's kind <laughs>
1: of. Now, now, now 90th percentile, to give you guys an idea of uh, your IQ at that point, that's about 120. Okay um so when you reach uh, about that's brilliant that's one of the
0: smartest cats you know probably right
1: yeah any any room any office you're in if you're at 120 iq you're you're pretty much the smartest person in the room at that point um actually at quite literally one in ten if you're in the 90th percentile you're you're one out of ten people in the room and you're you're probably the smartest. Um, however, uh, when it went up from there, from the 90th percentile, when you hit 99th, so you know, you're know you one in a hundred as far as intelligence goes, attraction goes down. So men and women both reported less attraction to individuals who were in the 99th percentile than they did for people in the 90th percentile.
0: And you would think that would be the most attractive person, number one. Yeah.
1: You yeah. would think seeing somebody in the 99th percentile w- would make you super attractive. It's like, oh, that, that person's going to be super smart. Um, but that's not the case. It, it appears less desirable than the slightly less smart counterparts.
0: Do you think that the, the social thing goes off the the train, goes off the tracks at that point?
1: I wonder if people expect that. Uh, because this is all all just them rating by looking at, at on a screen. They're not meeting these 99th percentile smart people. Uh, they're not meeting the hyper-intelligent. They're just basing this on their own sort of life experience and expectations. So I wonder if the expectation there is uh, if I dated this 99th percentile person, they would be correcting my vocabulary maybe. <laughs> maybe they'd be intolerable. Um, I Actually, I went digging for that too. I wanted to know
0: why. If it's just an insecurity, I don't want someone that smart. They're going to be critical of me.
1: Oh, that's uh, the, the, that word you use insecurity. I, I think that's I think that's probably dead on. Um, I, I went digging. I, I want to know why wouldn't hyper intelligent uh, be desirable in a mate? Um, and I found lots and lots and lots of anecdotal articles. I could not find um, a, a good, solid, uh, colleague article for this. Um, but the the anecdotal ones that came up on Google, they're all they're all goofy and they're all like you know. Why you don't want a smart partner? And and they they basically put up um, uh, reasons that you would expect. They expect somebody who is smart to overthink everything, to believe they know everything, to to keep score in a relationship. Um, Take
0: the fun out of everything.
1: Yeah, exactly. So so your and my assumption. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. If you were William Siddis, when you're talking about how he only had one girlfriend and, and you know, he, he didn't date much, I kind of can see that now. After reading these articles, I, I, I kind of get that.
0: Well, he lived a very independent, private life. And in 1944, our hero, Mr. Seiz, he died from a cerebral hemorrhage. And he was only 46 years old.
1: Wow. And that's that's, that's way, pretty young. It is,
0: and and his dad did, died young too. But just to think, with that brain and that work ethic, write all those books and do all that studying, and to, I mean, he he could have lived and done at least thirty more years of good work.
1: Right, he could have lived as long as Einstein and, and produced something other than train
0: tickets. Um, he came out. The only reason he came out seclu- uh, seclusion, Joe, was because he was so pissed off by this article the New Yorker wrote. Now the interesting thing is that the newspapers kept track of this guy because he was this boy wonder. Okay. So at first they had all these high hopes for him. Then towards the end of his life, they got more critical of him. Like, what a waste of talent! What a waster of a brain! Oh,
1: geez. So like, when we think about how much hatred comes out for child stars, I mean that's that's got to be even worse back then.
0: And that's kind of what we talked about earlier about his real expectations. Was that what crushed his spirit and his soul? It, he didn't think he could live up to him in his own, his own mind. Yeah. Um, he worked mindless jobs. He died in a small p- apartment. He actually he sued the New Yorker and, and made a lot of money, but when he died, he had what would be in today's uh, money twenty five hundred dollars is all.
1: Wow, that. I mean, we talk about geniuses not making as much money as we expect. That's tragic. So. Quick question for you. Do you think the cerebral hemorrhage had anything to do with how how brainy he was? Todd and I are not doctors, by the way. Um, I just want to know, because when I I saw that on the screen, it was a cerebral hemorrhage. His brain killed him.
0: I think he just didn't take
1: care of himself. That's probably more accurate. I, I wish... You know the, the old sci-fi pictures of, like, the Martian with the really huge head? That's <laughs> what I'm imagining. You think he but... thought
0: so much his head exploded? <laughs> uh, yes. That would be better for one of your fiction. stories. God, I, stories. I <laughs> want that to be
1: true, but you're probably uh, right. He, he probably just needed to take care of himself better.
0: Just from all the readings I had, I think that he was used by a lot of people. It's kind of the feeling I got. His sister went on and made all these outrageous claims about him after he passed. And why didn't she do that when he was alive? She waited till he was gone so he couldn't defend himself. Mm. and she said his IQ was much higher than it was and his test scores and all these tests were much higher but why do you have to exaggerate that they're, they're already off the charts
1: right do you think it was just family pride or you think she's trying to make something out of it
0: family greed
1: okay that's that's tragedy on tragedy
0: you don't have to be smarter than Einstein to live a good life you don't have to be a Mensa genius to be a good leader. People with high intelligence, on average, make a little more money than the rest of us. And higher IQ is correlated with living a slightly longer life at a price. High intelligence also linked to increased rates of depression, addiction, allergies, and social disorders. So if you're already a genius, then congratulations, really. Joe would like your help writing our Doctor Who podcast episode. But for the rest of us who can't remember obscure facts or square roots, keep in mind, conscientiousness, social awareness, and perseverance can be the rungs of your financial ladder. Develop them and climb. Whereas being born a genius is like being born with platform shoes. Finally, we want you to remember brainy may be the new sexy, but if you're working on a book about transit ticket stubs, then there's only so much sexy the world can handle. You've been listening to the Reengineered you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week.
1: You can also connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com, where we have research links, show notes, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We also appreciate feedback, and we love spirited debates.
0: We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.
1: And speaking of opinions, uh, we're going to read another five-star review
0: iTunes review uh,
1: this is from no pamphlet for that the hosts of great chemistry it's obvious that tons of thoughtful research have gone into every episode. I really love being able to connect the past with the now and this team makes a way to really connect with history as presented while making its learning very tangible for the listener Thank you again no pamphlet for that and yeah, thank, thank you,
0: you. We, we love you we really appreciate the support.
1: Everyone who has given us a five-star review, you're amazing. Um, And I will send you your certified genius uh, badge at some point.
0: Yeah, but you bastards with a (laughs) one-star. We're going to send you something else.
1: We'll send you uh, train ticket stubs. (laughs) A
0: dead squirrel. Right.